Hey, what's going on, good people? This is your co-host of The Black Codes, Donald Robinson, here with Miss Savannah Bryan. Hi. And we're here in these crazy times to talk about voting in politics. No, we are not here to solicit your vote, people. We are not. Although we do vote that you subscribe to this podcast, like it, and share it. We do want you, we do want you to do that. But 2020 has been quite a time. And today, literally just a couple hours before we started recording this, we read that Donald Trump wants to ban all diversity training, saying that it is becoming, it is making our nation divisive. Yeah, I think the ban is like federal institutions um, that he he wants to ban this diversity training. It's anti-American. And I mean, it goes back to that point when people are protesting racism. Mm -hmm. It's like people are protesting America. Exactly. And this is their response. Yeah. So speaking of. Well, lightly speaking of, you know, America and those things. Last night, we got to enjoy a nice dinner at this Afghan restaurant called the Helmand. And as in good tradition of Googling the names of restaurants that kind of escape me, Helmand is actually a province in Afghanistan. And yo, that food was fire. It was. They had this naan that was different than any other naan I've ever had. I think I've eaten a lot of non from like Indian places, mm-hmm. and where do I get that? And I've had I should have had mid, like uh, non from like traditionally like more like Islam Middle Eastern places. There's this place in mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh called Salim's, and they make non, but it's always the same. This was so different. Yeah, it was. So the presentation, I mean, it was just like cut up into little squares, which is whatever people can do that. It was a little thicker like weightier like the bread was just heavier and it was wheat but it wasn't like the nasty wheat bread that you get from the store like you could tell it was a wheat bread it wasn't white but and it was heavy but it was very nice and like with the little butter that they gave us it was yeah it was fire I told Donald yesterday um if they would have had like a honey butter with the, because the naan came out like fresh and hot, yeah, that would have been like for breakfast. Honey butter would have been the thing. Yeah. I almost want to like go back there and like recommend like, yo, this was so good, but if you'd have just hit it with some honey butter, bruh. <laughs> I had uh, some stuffed peppers; they were really good, but I didn't, it wasn't the dish that I wanted. Like I was really happy with the dish I got, but they had this zaftula chalo, and it was chicken with honey, ginger and dried peaches and it just sounded like such a great concoction yeah i'm not really into fruits being in my like entree i will take like uh strawberries or apples in a salad but i don't really like my dinner or my meats especially with like fruits there's something what the hell is that shit that gets cooked with tangerines or like little oranges I think it's a casserole. I'm not sure. Uh, oh my god! I just I'm just having flashbacks, <laughs> and I want to throw up now. It's so nasty. It's like that. Yeah. So like the the fruit in the food just isn't really 
I should say it's not my bag yet. Uh, maybe I'll find something eventually that I fuck with, but... So back in the boozle days, a good old slip-slip, <laughs> I'm guessing you did not like the blueberry sauce they did on the turkey the one year. No. It was like and our sophomore year they did blueberry sauce on turkey. I remember it was so good to me. No, um, and I'm very wary of eating turkey at places. It's like so easy to dry a turkey out. Uh, even, even at a professional, like, establishment, I suppose. Boozle, I was not going there for the, for the fine dining. (laughs) I was not going back there for that, that station that had, like, proper dinner meals. It was very rare that I ate anything back there, I used to love that spot back there. Like, (laughs) ooh, what they got up today? I felt fancy. Would you ever, did you ever do, like, apples on burgers? No. Oh. That was good. If you get the right sauce mm-hmm. and the right like, bacon, especially on there, apple I will and burger. say I do like. I've had burgers with um, that had like a, a bacon and berry jam. Like there was bacon chopped up in a really small pieces inside of a jam, like a grape or I don't know whatever kind of fruit they use. That I really like because I do like sweet and savory things. It's just something about like whole pieces of fruit. I don't know. I just can't. I can't get into it. Interesting. So, speaking of having these interesting tastes, I have this wine from. It's called Charm City Meatworks here in Baltimore. Got it from our good old place off the rocks here in Baltimore, and it's a. Before I got a honey wine, this is black currant red raspberry. I actually don't know what black currant is. Do you? It's a type of fruit. Like I know currants. I guess I never thought about the different types of currants. I we're gonna sound so stupid when we listen. Like when people listen to this, like well, how do y'all not know what currants are? I want to say they're kind of like figs, maybe. Like they're kind of small, maybe like plums, like in that family that has like the big seed. You know? Mm. I could be completely wrong. I have no idea. I'm just. Well, this is a type of honey wine, and it is jam-packed with flavor. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's really, really good. Yeah, I thought the honey wine, it kind of tasted like an ice cube had already melted inside of it. Like, it was just kind of devoid of any real flavor. (laughs) That sounds like so much shade. (laughs) This one has a lot of flavor, though. It actually reminds me of just like a regular wine that you would get from the corner, the liquor store, whatever. Yeah, so if you are in Baltimore, definitely check out this Charm City Meatworks wine. Get it at our, uh, I don't want to say our friends at Off the Rocks, because they're definitely not like friends or sponsors per se, but like we just like going there. For sure, we want to support black businesses. So this is part one of a multi-part series about voting. And so we have the election coming up, Mm -hmm. and once again, we are stuck in between a rock and a hard place. Um, well, it's really we're stuck between a rock and falling off a cliff, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the hard place isn't there. It's a rock, and then the other option is to fall off the cliff. Actually, a better analogy would be the bear chasing you to the edge of a cliff. It's actually a much better analogy for our voting situation. And we have so many of these problems that we have had for all of America's time that have morphed over time, still running down 
And just in the moment that maybe, just maybe America's making some headway with the greater American conscious coming to realize that, yo, black people have actually been getting fucked over for all this time and it hasn't stopped. And people starting to really realize that on a mass scale. Mm -hmm. Here we go, literally on September the 5th, they go and say, oh, teaching people that there's a such thing as white privilege and that people are oppressed and that they should learn about diversity training is just anti-American and divisive. And combat combating people's bias- biases. Like, I've sat through some of those trainings for different things for work, and a lot of it is, I mean, some of the ones that I've sat in on in particular, like um, I was on a panel... I was a part of like a hiring process for a mid-level um, director. So they kind of have people from across the campus departments that this person would work with had you know in that in that role in that position. They're invited to sit on the hiring board, and they you know it's a whole thing that we do like going through the resumes, picking top candidates, doing phone interviews, doing on-site interviews, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that they made us do before we even um, started the process were watch these these bias videos. These It was di- diversity awareness because the, they can be so small and so ingrained that you don't even realize that you have them. And so you need, like, they need to be brought to the forefront and combated and you have to unfortunately go through like a workshop process to like unlearn some of these things that have been ingrained in your head in ways that you don't even realize for almost most of your life you know yeah and you get surprised at how ingrained they are until you get faced in a situation where you have to like acknowledge something to the contrary Mm -hmm. and really be open to accepting that yo I could have been thinking about this all wrong for most of my life so as we go into this, we, have to, we want to present to you an understanding of voting, the history of voting, um, the challenges that America has had to voting, because there is this magical thing that America has done to uh, a lot of its citizens, to, and that is fighting hard as hell to not let people do things that they should be doing, like mm-hmm. voting. Uh, it has fought hard to let to not let younger people under 18 vote, to not let women vote, to not let black people vote, to not right. let people of other ethnicities who are citizens vote, to even at its inceptions, not let white people who weren't landowners vote. Mm-hmm. And so at one point, even only 6% of the American population back um, a couple hundred years ago were actually allowed to even vote. Yeah, but they are the ones that are creating all of the laws of the land, all of the ways that America's citizens are going to be governed and held accountable and like kind of policed and all of that stuff. It's this small percentage of people who are able to vote due to privilege, meaning they're so out of touch or so far away from most of the people that they are actually governing. It's how could they ever uh, create fair laws, you know? Yep. And now we are here against the wishes of the American forefathers who said we should not have two political parties. And literally, as soon as George Washington was done, two political parties started to just form out immediately. And here we are now with this. We have two people that a lot of people don't want to really want to vote for either one, Mm -hmm. um, depending on who you're talking to. 
and we want to look at the history of how we got there. So we're going to talk about voting, its history. We'll have different episodes where we talk about the actual parties themselves and some of the histories there. And then we'll look into talking about some of the, um, making it very fun, but some of the philosophical parts of voting in politics here in America. So let's hop on in because right now you, our listeners, are going to get the civics class that you deserve. Yeah, so kind of, um, you know, as I was kind of going through, just one, thinking about it being 2020, we're in a presidential election. And our relationship, like the country's general relationship with voting and our government and us, our government is like, an other, you know, like we feel like it's this thing that even though it presides over us, it's not something that we're dealing with like day to day. It's like this other thing that a lot of us, a lot of Americans don't really know much about. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos um, that like some of the late night shows do where they're walking the streets and they'll ask, they'll show a picture of like the vice president or the house of the Senate, or they'll ask him, who's your governor? Who's your mayor? People have no idea that a clip with Kiki Palmer that went viral and she's like, I don't know who that man is, that clip. Mm -hmm. They showed her a picture of Dick Cheney and, you know, she didn't know who he was. And the irony in that is like Dick Cheney, while he was technically the vice president, uh, he was he was our president during what, 2000 to 2008. Yeah. Um. But yeah, thinking about all of this really took me back to being in high school, my ninth grade civics class. And I was naturally interested in learning about that stuff, like learning about how the government worked, learning about kind of our role as citizens, and not necessarily me as an American, just learning about it for what it is. Like I would have been just as interested to learn about another country's style of government. But a lot of my classmates, and I'm sure a lot of other people, they weren't really listening or they weren't really paying attention. And that could be for varying reasons. One of them, I think history is taught in a really boring and shitty way. It's taught in a way that you don't feel connected to it. It's taught in a way that's like, it's this thing that's so distant and it's not connected to us. It's not related to us. And I think a lot of history teachers kind of get boxed in this category, history classes getting boxed in this category of just like information being talked at you and you only really need to learn dates for a test and that's it, you know? Yeah, it's like you basically just get a bunch of facts about some events that happen that have nothing to do with right now. Like, hey, these are some things that happened that helped shape the nation and they were like a millennia ago and here, remember them. Yeah, and the argument that I think is one that's really been used and it's just not true is this idea that like our vote doesn't matter. So that's why I don't vote. And of course, if you're speaking like real numbers, one person compared to, I think America's population is like 330 million, roughly. 
one person out of 330 million people, no, you're not making a difference in who the president is. But when that one is now 40,000, 100,000, 100 million, yes, individually, your one vote might not matter. But now collectively, you have contributed in making a difference one way or, the, or another. And so this idea that your vote doesn't count, especially for black people, especially for women and for lower class um, people like across racial boundaries, the government has actively tried to keep you from voting. Laws have been in place to keep you from voting. That wasn't an accident, that, <laughs> that was a targeted effort to keep you from voting. And so I think that's what I kind of want to focus on today. Really, I mean, we'll just start. <laughs> we'll just start um, with, with, you know, us coming here, which is in slavery. So there is this word called disenfranchisement. And that means like being denied a right or a privilege. It's almost always talking about uh, the right to vote. So when you hear that, like that's what people are talking about. And there's been a lot of disenfranchisement, like laws that have been put uh, into government and into effect to keep us, you know, from exercising a right that we should have as slaves they, you know, black people who were enslaved weren't able to vote because they weren't viewed as citizens. Hardly viewed as people. Correct. <laughs> Hardly viewed as uh, people. So there was definitely not going to be any voting for them happening, um, you know, during slavery. And then the Civil War happens and it ends and we get the 14th Amendment, which goes into effect in 1868, which basically says, um, you know, you're a citizen if you're born here. It defines what a citizen actually is because I hadn't been properly defined before. If you're born in the U.S., you are, in fact, a citizen, and the states can't pass any laws taking away rights to life, liberty. And it's the also the first time that... Uh, male is actually included in who can vote. And it also states uh, any male over the age of 21 has the right to vote. Um, about 2,000 black men end up being elected for Congress throughout the South and for government, like at the local and the state level throughout the South during this period running on the Republican ticket. And there's one South Carolina Governor uh, Benjamin Tillman, who I have a quote here. He says, we of the South have never recognized the right of the Negro to govern white men, and we never will. So he's letting, this is a governor who was letting, uh, he's talking to the president, like he's letting them know this, I don't know what y'all think y'all are doing, but we're not listening to these Negroes. So I suggest you sort that out or we will. And they do. Loads of violence happens, obviously, like intimidation, straight up murder. Other types of violent measures are, are uh, 
you know, start popping, not start popping up, but are happening tenfold to keep black men from voting and to keep uh, the Republicans out of the South. And it's so bad that they end up drafting uh, the 15th Amendment, which says you cannot deny someone the right to vote. You cannot deny them their rights uh, based on race. So, I mean, the violence still continues. <laughs> but yeah, so we have um, slavery, no voting happening at all. The Civil War ends. We're allowed to exercise our vote and people they do come out and vote like this is they had black people had been denied this right while they were enslaved now they have it they were using it and they were making a difference now black people are in congress and can represent them and their needs and what's and and talk about what's happening yeah i think that's something that we today lose sight of is mm -hmm. something like this i don't i don't recall ever being taught that you know so many black people were actually able to make congress or make local elections in the 19th century, you know, at the end of that, and going into the, you know, early 20th century, like, this was something that, you know, uh, our black ancestors had fought for and successfully was able, were able to be given that and actually exercise their right to have their own representation. But unfortunately, the other powers that be just could not have that happen. Oh, no. But I do think it is something for you all listening to look into research and just acknowledge that this was something that, you know, black people immediately post-slavery went to try to make their mark with. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so once the 15th Amendment is passed, violence is absolutely still happening, but they have to think of, like, these states have to think of other ways to keep black people from voting within um, the within the realm of the 14th and 15th Amendment, you know, like they have to do it, quote unquote, legally. So now you see certain things like literacy tests, uh, poll taxes come up and some interest. The, I think the, the most interesting thing that I found regarding the literacy test was a law professor at Duke William Allistein, I believe that's how you pr uh, pronounce his name, during the 60s conducted an experiment. He chose four random questions from Alabama's literacy test and sent them to professors teaching constitutional laws at um, American law schools throughout the country. 70% of the answers that he received back were incorrect. These are professors that teach, con like law professors who teach constitutional law, who have, who have practiced or have taught law 20 plus years. They were unable to pass this literacy test. So think about giving this to someone, <coughs> excuse me, that might not even have over a, a fifth grade education, might not have um, graduated high school. And so, of course, you're going to see people failing this test in mass. Like, that's, but that's on purpose. You know, they made the, the questions um, specifically confusing, using words and the way that they build the sentence out. It's like, I don't actually know what you're asking of me, even though I can read every single word. I don't even know what you're asking me to do. 
Yeah, it's not like when these slaves were granted, you know, freedom, and then, you know, their ancestors, they were, like, given, you know, constitutions, like, hey, you know, you should read this document thoroughly. That was not the case. It wasn't the case. And the situation with the poll tax, um, in North Carolina, there was this grandfather clause that... (laughs) basically allowed poor white people to still vote. So it it was, if you had uh, an ancestor that had voted prior to the Civil War, you were able to vote. That, my friends, is what you call spitting in somebody's mouth. Mm, Yes. Um, And the 24th Amendment which bans poll taxes on the fed I think the federal level doesn't even come into play until 1964. So these poll taxes are legally allowed to just exist until the 60s. They say on a federal level they are now illegal because of the 24th amendment, but it happens um, state by state. I think they say it ended in 66 is when you see states like hard like doing hard implementations, but I mean, we were talking about poll taxes in Florida, like they still are able to get that off. They kind of, there's no strong, like super strong wording keeping states from maneuvering around things to still have these kind of poll tax. Yeah, and another word for that is corruption. (laughs) Yeah. Like that is a clear lining of state-backed corruption to say, you know what, we'll actually grant, you know, between 1960, I mean, 1865 and 1919, we'll actually grant, you know, black men the right to vote. And we're going to pass all these laws to stop. And even then when women got to vote in 1920, it's still like, you got to pay a tax Mm -hmm. to go and participate in the citizen function of government elections. Like, what? It's, yeah. um, (laughs) Women is actually on my list because... You know, when we're talking about this right to vote after the Civil War, we're only actually talking about black men. We're not talking about women at all. Women won't end up getting the right to vote until it doesn't go, like it's not ratified until um, August of 1920. So this year, we're celebrating 100 years of women being able to vote. We're celebrating 100 years of white women. Of white women being able to vote. Correct. Black women weren't able to vote until the Civil Rights Bill. Yeah. So when you think, when you think of like um, the literacy, the literacy test and the poll tax being like a targeted effort, and also probably the biggest and something that we are still dealing with today, and by far it needs it's like top ten list of things that like really need to be fixed in this country, probably top five is the situation with felons and how if you commit a felony in some way so this is a this is really state by state so states are allowed to create the laws around felon uh, voting some states allow you to vote even while you're an inmate it's only two states i think maine and vermont 
there are other states that you can vote as a probationer. You might be able to vote as a parolee and a probationer or a probationer, I mean. You might not ever be able to vote. You might be able to vote under certain circumstances. So it, it just depends. It's based on the state. But when you think of the ways that black people are overly policed and are sentenced at a much more strict level, even with the article that we posted a few days ago with like various forms of protesting in Tennessee, you can now be arrested and charged with a felony. So here you go trying to change your government and improve it and doing the very, very, very American and overall humane thing called protesting to be able to create change. And it's like, oh, you know what? You protest in a way that we don't like. You're not going to be allowed to vote mm-hmm. about the very things that you're protesting. Mm-hmm. And in an election year. In an election year in, in Tennessee. And so when you look at also post-slavery, when you look at the 13th Amendment, there was a clause about slavery is banned mm-hmm. unless you are imprisoned and, mm-hmm. and a prisoner. And so there was a very, very big uptick in arrests and um, finding different ways to arrest black people uh, in the late 19th century and early 19th century as a way to work that clause. Early 20th century. Early 20th century. Thank you. Late, late 19th century, that early 20th century. That something that used to always confuse me, like how the century doesn't actually match up with like the first two uh, numbers of the, the, like, the century years. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to like, I, I get it, but if I speak too fast, like mm-hmm. I totally miss that. Yeah. <laughs> But how that uptick happened, and mm-hmm. so now there's this huge boom between you know 1870 and 1930 of incarcerations that really have not stopped. And when you think about the type of incarcerations, like oh you don't have a job, we can throw you in jail. You're a vagrant, we can throw you in jail. Like these things that the punishment does not match the crime at all. Yeah, like, this isn't like a crack cocaine close. violation. Exactly. Um, you know, we talked about the situation with, like, Khalif Browder. The, just the way that you can be arrested and treated once you're in that system without even, like, due process. Yeah, I've talked about this in another episode about the beginning of the Tulsa, Oklahoma rape, uh, race riot mm-hmm. and how the entire spark of that. Now, there was some backstory to why they wanted to do that, but the ba- the spark of this was the accusation of a black woman, you know, putting himself onto, a black man putting himself onto a white woman. And and when- Accusation. Yeah, and uh, even further, you have these laws in place and you have a criminal uh, system that you love to throw black people in, like any way that you can get them in jail, you're going to. However, when it comes to rape, even if it's an accusation, there's no like due process that happens. You're not even worth go- like uh, being arrested and investigated. You know, like that's cause for just getting pulled out of your house and strung up on a tree. Meanwhile, good old boy Brock, who we talked about in another episode, he walked out in ninety days. Ninety days. So, 
kind of looking at that history of voting and the different types of suppression that have happened to keep people from voting in this aspect of felons not being allowed to actually place a vote. Yeah. It's um it, it's stark and it really paints this picture of how powers that be have really worked hard to to hold this back and even now in 2020 this is still a problem yeah. with polling and with access and right now with this whole issue of mail-in ballots oh yeah there's so much going on uh that surrounds like the voting process and i think if nothing else <laughs> this whole little mini civil course civics course that we're doing if nothing else we do, even with all of the restrictions, with all the attempts to take it away, the right away from us, we are actually able to vote in our representatives. That shouldn't get lost on people. Like, we do have that ability, and we should be using it. And if we don't, if we continue to not go out and vote, we're going to keep getting these same people. I mean... Jesus, I think about like the average age of a representative. Is that actually representative of his community? Mm, no. So most of them, most of the time, no, it's not. So how can we expect these people that were alive, not alive, some of them in office fighting against like civil rights, like they were, they have been around in some way. Y'all got to go. And we have to get them out of there. And they're still, like, really relevant people. Yes. And so when we think about your vote mattering, remember, wherever you live at, the municipality you live in, the city you live in, the county you live in, those elections get a lot of hoopla and, and attention and money behind them because they do matter. People mm-hmm. would not be putting this much effort into making something happen if it did not matter. Yeah. And so think about, depending on where you live, you may actually have elected officials that represent you and your interests. Think about the fact that you, yourself, or people you know, worked hard to um get those people in office through campaigning, through donations, through door knocking, letter writing. I have a number of people that I train who are very politically active in Pittsburgh, and they do all sorts of letter writing and phone banking and all these sorts of efforts to get people to vote. And these are even at the local level. Mm -hmm. And so this stuff does matter. And I know that when we start talking about national elections, you get stuck with this two-party thing. You get two Mm -hmm. options to vote. And this is where I think a lot of people get really frustrated at with their vote not mattering because let's say right now you are stuck with Joe Biden or Donald Trump. On one hand, if you were one of those Republicans from four years ago who wanted to vote for one of the other Republicans on a ticket and you were not a fan of Trump, you didn't think he was competent, you didn't think he was actually a good conservative, he wasn't Christian enough, or he just wasn't, he didn't have the Republican qualities you wanted, and now you were stuck voting for him because you weren't going to vote for Hillary. Or like right now on the Democratic side, you know, there were so many people who were behind Andrew Yang, who I actually personally kind of like a lot, people who were behind Bernie Sanders, behind Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and a variety of those people, especially Bernie Sanders supporters. Mm-hmm. And now Elizabeth Warren had a very, very big following and yeah. a strong following. And I think she was also very, very well suited. And now you're stuck with one person that 
you may not like, and in order for your vote to count, you have to vote for him. Versus you could still write in Elizabeth Warren. You could still mm-hmm. write in Bernie Sanders, but it's going to get washed. And at that point now, it feels like you don't count. Yeah, I think um, the last two elections have been really hard for a lot of people because the Democratic candidate was nothing to be super hype about, I guess. Um and I'm not even one to really hate on like Hillary directly. Some people really just don't fuck with her. Um, there was just a lot of other like be- like the Democratic Party itself. There's a lot of issues, and I think because it's split, there's a more moderate conservative side and then a more liberal left leaning side. And so we have been left, you know, in the 2016 election with someone that there was some shady you know business happening with how she was even picked so they say so a lot of people weren't interested in voting for her at all but I think no one actually thought Trump was gonna win like I I think that there were a lot of people that were okay not voting for Hillary because morally and ethically they couldn't do it but they didn't think that Trump was going to win. They thought enough people were going to show up for Hillary for like the next four years to be whatever. We'll complain about Hillary and we'll just try to sort this out the next time. And there were so many Republicans who were avidly Mm anti-Trump, who were putting their voices out, the Republicans, like everyday ones, even, you know, Republican politicians who were calling him a joke and like literally laughing stock. Yeah. But then he kept winning. And, you know, what's worse than Trump for Republicans? A Democrat vote. So, yeah, here you get. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So we're here now in 2020 with Biden and Trump. Um, I know and I understand why a lot of people don't want to vote for Biden. I think it's I get it. Um, but we can't really, I don't want to be like preachy, preachy, but it's just like, yo, Trump is trying to implement so much shit that in the next four years, he could potentially, like, you read a lot of sci-fi, I've spent a lot of time watching and reading, like, the dystopian style in the not-so-distant future books, about, you know, specifically about America and in other places, dictators come about in many different ways. It's not just a wild coup that they throw in a war that happens that, you know, like in Cuba, like in the in other places where someone comes to power removing someone else. Trump is not going to do that. I think if we give him four more years, he is going to find a way to keep himself in office or to really pave the way to turn this, the presidency and the government into something else. And if we don't get him out, and if we don't get out these old ass Republicans that, I'm not saying don't vote any Republicans, but if we don't get these current Republicans that we have out of here, it could be, uh, we could go 20 steps backwards. Yeah, and this aspect of 
what he is, you know, what he's trying to do and, and set this up. He actually even made a, there was a comment that came out about being able to get a third term. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that you would bring that up, this um, aspect of delaying the election, mm-hmm. which I, had, I think I had mentioned in another episode, like, yo, that's something that does not happen in a country that's supposed to be so democratic yeah. um, as the United States is supposed to be and, mm-hmm. and is, you know. And so this is a very big time, but if people don't take it seriously, this could get derailed and this is not even just because of progressives this establishment of being able to run free speech yeah. to have the right to actually have pursue life liberty and have life liberty in pursuit of happiness is at risk mm-hmm. because now there's crackdowns about people speaking out that is one thing that if America is really great about that many, many countries are not. It is that you can talk shit about your politicians and have campaigns against them and not get shot yeah. or carried out of your house at night. Yeah, that's a right that we have to be able to air out like our issues with our government. We are allowed to do that as citizens. So if that starts to be taken away... Yeah, we're really, this is turning into something else, so. And in four years, Trump has, is is nearing on eclipsing the number of executive orders more than Bush and Barack Obama, who have, you know, almost 300 each themselves. Donald Trump in just his under four years so far is pushing 200 and is on pace to outdo them by a lot with executive orders if he keeps it up with his pace. So one thing that we do want to leave you with is something that me and Savannah have talked about a good bit. And I've, I've read about this for quite a while, and it's this aspect of ranked choice voting. Yes. And that's something that we do personally advocate about in a way to actually help your vote matter a lot. And so it's something that you can research, but we're going to kind of excuse me, give you a little glimpse of what it is. And so how this sets up is you have a list of candidates and you actually rank them with your first, second, and third choice. And as it files through, the main the candidates who receive the least amount of votes get taken off the ballot and your vote gets bumped up to the next person that you voted to until someone actually has more than half of the vote or until the last person stands. Because one thing that's been noted in a number of these elections is that people are getting elected without even having more than 50% of the American population backing them. Yeah. uh, So Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and I want to say the first time Bush ran. Against um, John Kerry? Al 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 Gore. Gore. Al Gore. They both actually won the popular vote. They ended up losing because of the electoral college like they got more electoral votes but we'll save that for a different day but this idea of ranked choice voting like yeah i really want this person to win but if this person isn't going to this person is okay and you know we'll give us option c just it better to not have one i believe in vermont this has already been implemented. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not impossible. There are ways that this can be implemented uh, like across the country. And 
while neither one of us live in states that have this as an option, um, it sounds like the thing to do. So I would encourage just doing a, like some brief research on ranked choice voting, Hassan Minaj, um, the Patriot Act on Netflix has a really good episode about voting and kind of surmises what ranked choice voting is. I definitely think more people should be aware that that is an option. Totally. So if there's a way that we can help push that, I think that you should look into it and totally find out a way to help get that you know, enacted, at least at the local level, and, and work that way up to the you know, national level, if not just getting it to go to the national level. Because if there's anything that I have learned from this new generation of people younger than us, which is really causing me trouble as I approach my as my age increases, and I'm not telling you how old I am, even though Savannah tried to out me. <laughs> there are these group of people who are 20, 21, 22, who just don't care about this idea of, oh, let's take steps. It's like, no, we're just going to go to the top. So in spirit of Gen, Gen Z, um, or Gen X, I'm not sure which one they are, but Gen Z. they're younger than me. If you could just get it enacted at the national level, that would help us out a lot. And so... That's what we got for you today with part one of our voting series. Hopefully we have uh, helped you learn a little bit more about the history of voting here in the United States and um, helped give you some things that you can look into. Join us next time. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share this podcast with somebody. Find us on social media at The Black Codes Podcast on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, We're very active on Instagram. Make sure you leave us some comments about your thoughts on this. Share with us. Uh, You can even email us at theblackcodespodcast at gmail.com and share with us your thoughts, uh, some of the history you've learned. And if you have something interesting that we should look into, you should definitely send that to us. You can email us. You can DM us on social media, and we will totally look into it. For sure. Yeah, I think it's important that we do our civic duty as much as they try to say that we're not American and we're not worth being treated equally or fairly. We are American and we are worth being treated equally and fairly. And we're deserving of the rights, you know, that we have as Americans. And voting, when people get on the like voting high horse, sometimes it could be annoying and sometimes it could be preachy. But, you know, it's not just this thing that we should only care about when there's a presidential election. It's something that we should partake in a bit more. And when we're going into the voting booth, just being a bit more informed on who we're voting for and what they actually stand for. And when they fall short of what they say, um, excuse me, you have some explaining to do. I'm showing up at the town hall. I recall you saying this and that this is what happened, and I'm not fucking with that. And if there is a way that you can help with the state of Tennessee getting that bill repealed or pushed back about denying protesters the right to vote, look into that. Yes, because absolutely. Because that can spread. Tennessee has passed the law, but there are five law there are five other states that have similar laws that are currently pending. So if Tennessee is able to successfully, even though they've passed the law and they've quote unquote enacted it, I think it could be repealed. Um, 
if we don't get that, more states are going to start implementing these laws and all of a sudden it's going to become illegal to protest when these police officers decide to shoot someone that doesn't have a weapon on them. And well, that makes the phrase America, the land of the free, less accurate and a bit of a hypocrisy and oxymoron. So take a look into that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Black Codes. Uh, Make sure, again, you like, subscribe, and share. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.